Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by me, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each episode of Ciao Bella, I sit down with Italy's creators, contemporary artists and artisans, designers, culinary experts, heritage brands, and innovative estites, and more who are defining and redefining 21st century Italy. Pull up a chair and join in. Hey, Ciao Bella listeners. In this episode, I'm at the very tip of Puglia at Castello di Ugento, a centuries-old castle where I meet up with owners Massimo D'Amore and Diana Bianchi. This is a pretty fun interview because sometimes I'm in the garden with Diana, other times Diana and Massimo and I are in the base of a tower. So listen in. Hey, welcome back to Ciao Bella. Today I'm sitting in a beautiful, beautiful garden in a castle in the Salento, the very, very heel of Puglia. And I'm with Diana Bianchi, the co-owner and founder with Massimo D'Amore at Castello di Ugento. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you for having me as a guest this morning. Thank you for, for coming and seeing us and visiting us. Well, I can't, I can't tell you, there's nothing more suggestive and picturesque than sitting in a castle's garden in the morning it's beautiful well thank you <laughs> i wanted I'm, I'm so excited to have to have you on ciao bella today because we are in an area that i i particularly love of italy it's we're in, we're in puglia i think a lot of people have heard of puglia maybe some of you guys have visited puglia um a lot of people have heard the cities of lecce of foggia of taranto of body of course but we are in the very 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 tip of the heel so you know italy's the boot and this is the heel in a kind of fairy tale area. Um, and I think, you know, when you study the history of Puglia, which, you know, I, I don't know many people who've actually had on their course curriculum the history of Puglia, it, but it, it does. You, you do a quick study and it sounds like a fairy tale because we go all the way back to the Masip, I can't even pronounce it. The Masapians. The Masapians, yes. And we, you know, there's, I, I was I was laughing this morning because I was, I was in the shower and I was going through a list. I was like, Masapians, Greeks, Romans, and then I was like, oh my god, Byzantines, Normans, Christians, Aragonese, Angevins, and then the, I mean, and I'm probably, there's probably more, and then we have to throw in the, the unification of Italy. I mean, yes. it's, it's a fairy tale <laughs> just, just talking about the, the history. So one of our art historians and historians actually once qualified this area of Italy as the Europe of Italy and of Europe. Oh my goodness. Um, it is true that we have had, uh, this is a, a land of crossroads between the east and the west, but also from the north. We do um, have a lot, a lot of historical relevance in this area. Going back, as you said, to the Messapians, which is a civilization from about uh, 800, 700 before Christ. Uh, in Ugento proper, they had a, an important uh, stronghold of the civilization. We can compare them a little bit to the Etruscans who are farther up north in Italy. And um, they were a civilization which was reaching between uh, Greece and Sicily and all of this area which then became also known as La Magna Grecia. So from then on we have had um, always invaders, visitors and mostly however I would say gentle invaders except perhaps the Turks at some point we have had some Byzantine uh, you know um, invasions but in general the Pugliese people and I would say especially down here in Salento are very welcoming especially because they really have had a lot of visitors um, from Orient and um, from and, East and, and West absolutely I mean, 
It's, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, my husband and daughter and I, were, we went all the way to the tip of the tip. We went to the Finibus Tere, the end of the end of the world, so to speak, or the end of the earth, according to the Romans. And we went to Santa Maria de Leuca. And I was, I was just laughing because, uh, you know, it was really this, it's the most, it's this most southern, southeastern point in Italy. And it really is, was the outpost for the, the Christian civilization on some level for the ancient Romans. And it was the outpost of east to west from what they knew at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and then, of course, aside from also the east and the west, if we fast forward into the um, 12th century, um, end of the 11th, we see also arriving from the north, the Normans. So the Normans definitely came all the way down here. We actually uncovered a very remarkable um, a tower under our feet that had been hidden for about 700 years here at Castello. You know and what? Why don't you... I don't, I, that's a great story, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's a great point to talk about where we are. Mm -hmm. So we can just quickly tell people a little bit, not even quickly, I, I would love for you to share with us the story of Castello di Ugento, because we're not just sitting in a castle, <laughs> we're sitting in a story. We're sitting in a story and Castello di Ugento um, is in fact the castello that belonged to the D'Amore family since 1643. Massimo D'Amore, who's my partner um, in business and in life as well, um, was living, uh, visiting his grandfather, who was the last of the D'Amore to really live here um, up until his death in 1979. So Massimo grew up in these gardens, in this castello, um, especially during holiday. Um, and he had a real desire to bring it back to life at some point. He had a, an international career in corporate business, um, traveled a lot and lived uh, away from Italy for about 30 years and, and had this dream of restoring this castle. The family came here in 1643 and this was a fortress. I mean, I don't know if I've visto la scuola di cucina or no? So, so you will see on that side is really a fortress, the walls are seven meters deep, etc. Because this was a fortress, it was not a palace at all. And then, uh, so they bought this whole area, they become feudal lords. And, um, and obviously it was one of the furthers, further away uh, territory from the city of Naples, which was the mm -hmm. capital. Because all of Sicily and Calabria were easy, easily accessible by boat. So they were taking the boat to Palermo, they were taking the boat to Messina or to Reggio Calabria. To come here was only a land uh, uh, trip. So with all the alias of uh, weather, uh, uh, the mules, uh, etc., etc. So it was, it, was a, I mean, it was a hardship trip, mm -hmm. lasting several days, etc. So at one point, they decided to turn this into a palace, basically. And this really transformed the place, because if this had already still been a defense castle, as he knows much better than me, there would be only little windows, right. narrow staircases, uh, there would be no courtyard, no garden, nothing. No kind of recreation. It's yeah. like many castles, Otranto, Gallipoli, mm -hmm. places like this, where you cannot live inside. I mean, they're not made for, uh, for comfort. So here, our luck is that in uh, between 1650 and 1700, this uh, 
huge construction site lasted almost 50 years and they transformed into a palace so they could really spend a long time here and then it became the main residency and at one point the palazzo d'amore in napoli was sold ah. because they came they were coming from napoli yeah yeah and there is still a palazzo it's still called palazzo d'amore but it was not the family anymore yeah because this became the main residence yes mm. yes when did that would have been about the 1700s yeah uh, i think it's uh end 1700 yes um or beginning 1800 there was still one branch was there but then at the end they all dissolved it yeah and uh, so this is uh, one of the stories another story is that uh, now let me get it right because it's unusual so there were these two brothers and one was here and one was in Rufano which is another city yeah. 20 kilometers from here and uh, and then the one in Rufano died so there was his wife with two daughters and uh, not long time after the wife of the one in Ugento died and then uh, in order to keep the estate together the one of Ugento married one of the daughters of his brother ah. So, yes, which is unusual as, uh, yes, and uh, so, but this is how they kept the estate together. Diana was telling me that it took 20 years and 20 different acting authorities. Right? <laughs> 18, 18, 18, 20 years, yes. That is... Uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's a... Stamina. That's a, it, it is. It's tenacity right there. Tenacity. I mean, it's difficult it, to buy from family members. Much easier, not, not, much not easier from, from, uh, from uh, strangers. Yeah. I, I could imagine. I, actually, not I can't. all of them, obviously, but, but it was difficult. Yeah. So what was, what was, you said your grandfather lived here until 1979? Yeah, he passed. First, they were both of my parents and my grandmother passed away early. And uh, he stayed here until his final days and was in 1979, yeah. And so this space was... Upstairs, was, he was uh, living upstairs. And he just parked his car right here. Yeah, this was his garage. Yeah. And this was... And for you, you came to visit this as a child? Because yeah. I know you didn't, you didn't live here, but... No, no, we didn't live here. My mom was from here. She passed a few... She spent a few years here. But then we were coming to see the grandfather, first with the old family, especially in summer. A couple of Christmas, but it was very cold because to to heat up the castell was, uh, was uh, and here it's not, it doesn't really get too cold, but it gets humid, so mm. you have to warm up. And um, then alone I came here, there was a few pictures of me in Taranto, because I was taking the train to Taranto, he would come to pick me up and then spend some time here. And uh, that's it, but we couldn't live here because uh, Back then, there was no school. I mean, you had to live in Lecce. I mean, mm. yeah, you couldn't go to school, nothing. It was very, wow. very basic. I mean, very rudimentary. You know, it's, um, mm. And um, that's it. And then he passed away in 79. And then he was basically closed for 30 years until I met uh, this uh, young lady in New York. La Follia. And, uh, La Follia. 
we first fell in love with each other, then we fell in love with this place. When I was here as a kid with my grandfather, it looked very nice. I mean, I didn't realize that it was, uh, was not so perfect, but it looked very nice. Um, then the last time I was here was for his funerals in 79. And, um, and it was already started to be run down. And then I might have come back one more time uh, afterwards, and it was very run down. And somehow I started developing this idea. So we are at home. We are in a place that we have brought back to life in the last um, five years. We started the works in 2014. We opened up as a boutique hotel in 2018 with a fine dining restaurant and also a culinary school. A very both professional and and for amateurs. So it is a um, a property that we're very proud and happy to have um, instilled life into again and moving it forward into the 21st century, carrying on our shoulders all these 400 years of history of family history, but I would say 900 years of history since we found the vestige under the floor of our current dining room, which is the Norman Tower and the arches of the initial fortress that the Normans uh, created using the Misapian blocks um, from 700 before Christ. So we're realizing that we really are in a very, very um, antique area, but we have so propelled Ma it into the 21st century. So, so Massimo's family, they've been here for 400 years, più o meno. Yes. <laughs> um, and I remember, you know, you were telling me, you were telling me earlier that initially they came, I, and I think Massimo was also telling me, it was, it was like, a gift from the, the king of Naples, I believe? Yes, well, they were feudatari, mm -hmm. so it's under the feudal system. They were they acquired the land and they acquired the whole area, a very vast area. There had been other noble families before them, but um, they were two brothers who arrived, one in Ugento, the other one in another town, and so they established their presence here. They were cultivating the land. They were actually also administering you know justice in the in the area that they were controlling and this was um, by decree of the king of Naples and um, and then they loved it so much that after commuting I would say for about 10 years or perhaps more they decided to then stay and, and make their their home here and live here because initially the the structure you were mentioning exactly. was a fortezza, was exactly. a fortress so it, it wasn't really it wasn't hospitable at all no it was really a fortress for defense um, and for storage and for all things that required simply to have large spaces to store the land to store what they were cultivating and defend themselves so when they actually decided that they wanted to make this home um, make it their home they embarked on about 20, 30 years of, of work, little by little, and they transformed the upper floor, the, the, the higher parts of this castello, into a palazzo uh, residenza. So um, they brought in their architects from Naples. They created a very beautiful scalone con architetti napoletani, where they introduced the Barocco Napoletano, which is different from the Barocco that you would find in Lecce. Um, and very, very beautiful, and, and, and then they created all these saloni with frescoes, which actually play a lot on the in their name, um, Amore, D'Amore, and so there are a lot of very beautiful stories being told with uh, 
famous and illustrious couples. We have uh, Cleopatra and Anthony, we have others, and uh, Lucrezia, and we have a lot of beautiful mythological stories and cupids all over. So it's a really a castello d'amore, dei principi d'amore in Ugento. Can you give me an idea, um, or give our listeners an idea of the size of the space? Because I see one mm -hmm. bastion. Mm -hmm. Well, we have uh, about 4,500 square meters of uh, property, of castello mm -hmm. in, inside. And the garden is about 1,500 square meters. Um, and uh, so it is very large, very vast. But the living area and the space that uh, our our guests come to in the in the boutique hotel is is quite cozy because it all evolves around the courtyard. Mm -hmm. I think the life of the castello was very much around the courtyard and it still is. And so between the garden, which is one of our salotti, and the courtyard, which is another one, and then the inside spaces, um, no one feels um, too dispersed. We all right. feel quite cozy. And you, you know, and it's and I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of bastions. I, mm -hmm. I love walls. I love mm -hmm. ancient walls. I love medieval walls. Mm -hmm. I even like Renaissance walls. I'll go as far as getting a little bit later in life, but I, I love staring yeah. at that bastion. How many bastions are in this castle? Well, these bastions that you're seeing, these torri are the ones you're looking at right now. They were from the An Angevin period, so 1300s. Mm -hmm. we, have, we had two of them. One, however, had um, fallen in disrepair after a, an earthquake in the 1800s. Uh, it is still half uh, that size. But those that are we're seeing from the garden, and you can see those from a lot of um, views of Castello di Ugento, were then transformed, however, by the Aragonese later. So, um, so those are actually the one here in the garden is still very, very beautiful. You will also notice that most of the walls of Castello have not really been injured by, yeah. by wars and by um, by uh, any kind of um, attacks. This was a rather peaceful area. The, 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 the Norman Tower that's below our feet in the, in the dining hall is also very intact, as was the, as what we discovered, that double arch where the gate was in between it and the horses would come in. And that too was in good, very good uh, shape when in the 1300s they decided to cut off half of the tower and cover it up so that they could keep building the castle upward. And you know, I, I was I thought it was fascinating when Massimo was telling us how where so there's this incredible when you go into the dining area they've ex, they've opened up there's an excavation site that that is part dining area and part excavation site um, archaeo nerds like myself <laughs> will love it and you see the the side this beautiful curve of a Norman tower and you see the original I guess it would have been one of the original gate entrances. Mm -hmm without the actual grill, but you know, you get yeah. to see the, the, that little slice where the grill would have been, it's fabulous. Um, but, you know, I asked her, I said, well, how, you know, what was here before? Like, what was, what, what was this? How come this was covered up? Well, Massimo was saying his grandfather that this was the garage area. <laughs> how did you guys discover it? So it was actually uh, one of the storage areas that you can see when you look at um, images of Castello. You'll see this beautiful courtyard and everything that was around the courtyard were mainly storage areas because the Piano Nobile was reserved for living uh, and the bottom area was storage. So over the 20th century, however, um, when obviously after the war a lot of things changed and the the family was less um, they were less prominent in terms even of how they were living clearly um, they used a lot of those areas uh, also one example as a garage so we were in fact where we are now dining used to be a garage 
and no one had any idea until we discovered this in 2015 through the works that below that area and it would actually continue into the courtyard is that very beautiful tower and double arch so we realized it when they started working on the floors uh, in order to uh, isolate them properly from humidity because everything we've done here has been a, a restauro conservativo in order to bring back the property as it was conceived but with modern sustainable technology so as to preserve and avoid that any other future damage would be brought. So clearly humidity is a big problem in these kind of monuments. So as we were working at insulating the floors, we realized that below our feet there was something very hard and, and important and huge blocks of, of uh, so everybody stopped. They carved out enough area to understand what it was. We brought in the Sovrintendenza, worked very nicely with them. Our architects, of course, our studio Carafa Guadagno from Caserta, our fabulous architects in oh, historical so you guys monuments. Brought Neapolitan architects, just we like they did in the 1600s. Yes, our whole project <laughs> has been managed by them. They're wonderful. And I salute to the Donna Rosa Carafa and Vincenzo Guadagno and Enrico Carafa. It was a wonderful team. And they uh, clearly then helped us understand how we could excavate that whole area and bring it to light. And what we decided to do was then to put um, a, a glass floor where we now have tables. And so it's very suggestive to have dinner in the in I mean, our it's, restaurant. It's incredible. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, I, something I learned yesterday was that that structure, you said it, it, you and Massimo were explaining to me that there's a round tower and then a square. There are other, yes, because during the Norman, I mean, I'm sorry, during the later um we believe uh, clearly federico II, frederick of Swabia was obviously very prominent in puglia he was also known as uh, the son of puglia he was raised in sweden in sorry in sicily from the north he came through his mother he was raised in sicily but he also loved puglia very much and we obviously have um, proof that he was farther north in Puglia, Castel del Monte is one of the beautiful castelli attributed to him uh, that he designed. No one knows really if he actually slept in it, but it's this very enigmatic castello that is absolutely should be on people's um, itinerary. But he certainly is believed, it is believed that he also came this far south. And what was typical of his um, architecture was a mix of square towers, which we have in the Aula Magna, that is a very beautiful, large, very high-built square tower and round towers. So there is a mix of this in his architecture. And we have another one that we, are, we would like to work on also where we are working on our wine cellar. There is, there is such, you know, when you, when you tell these stories and you talk about Federico II, who was German, born in Sicily, yes. you know, there, one of the things I think that impresses me the most about Puglia is this, like you were saying, this international oh, yeah. history um, for centuries, you know, and, it, and it's also amazing when I think about it because I, you have to, I start thinking about Italian history and, you know, the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies or, or the Kingdom of Naples, which was not just simply a place, it was this almost like a, an empire completely in the, in the south and there was, and then you can throw in the Crusades. Yes. I mean, there's, there's so much. Um, and I, I think there, you know, here there's so much to see and I wanted to ask you uh, about that, about about that, your, your relationship, yours and Massimo's relationship with the Salento. Uh, how how do you transmit, I guess, Puglia and this internationalism, mm -hmm. like it's, the, the local internationalism? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can call mm -hmm. it that, to your guests that come here who have never, you know, I mean. I can't. I, I feel like I have to take like a year-long course in the mm -hmm. history of Puglia. <laughs> well, we we. 
obviously we tend to recommend that um, travelers come and spend some time down here without rushing off too quickly. I would say that because um, some travelers like to be able to say that they visited a lot of little different areas and that's fine but I think the way travel is actually moving forward anyway uh, especially after this year's realization that time is is a precious uh, gift we all have and that going digging deeper in your travels when you're in a place is definitely worth it so when people come with us and stay uh, ideally four to five nights at least they really we, we help them organize as well their tours around the Basso Salento where there are a myriad of little towns, each one with its history, with its own piazza, with its beautiful cathedral, with its church, with its Baroque art. Um, Galatina, which is about 25 minutes from us, has one of the most beautiful cathedrals with frescoes uh, that uh, are just stunning and, and is definitely worth a visit. Uh, we have the town of Specchia, we have Santa Maria di Leuca, we have others, Tricase. There are so many down here that one should ideally stay put so as to be able to understand all the different um, people who have also been through this area. We still have tall, small villages down here where uh, Griko is spoken, which is a form of Greek uh, language, and some of the, the, the older generations still speak it and actually keep transmitting it to their children. So it really is um, a very, very rich area of Italy there because of its geographical position. And we like to take our time with our guests. I think when they come and they settle in, um, they're clearly taken back by um, the history of the of the property. We tell our stories. Um, we help them understand. Um, even and and then at the same time we we guide them through the area, so they can have a a very good sense of Puglia by also just staying put a few more days. I think we kind of like to recommend that. Of course, we're always happy when anyone comes, even just for a two-day stay, but there's a lot to do. And then, of course, our culinary offering. We like to indulge them also in the flavors of Puglia. Uh, Puglia is very vast. I would like to perhaps remind your your listeners that Puglia goes 500 kilometers from north to south and it has 750 kilometers of coast so it's very much a 500 sea. kilometers yes because the northern tip of Puglia is actually nor more north than Napoli oh wow Napoli is at the level of Bari and Puglia keeps going up towards Foggia so 500 kilometers is a very long so you have different areas in Puglia um, but each one has different you know characteristics when I was growing up in Italian school, we referred to Puglia as Le Puglie. It has now passed on to become more La, la Puglia. So but everybody in terms can of hear the difference, mm -hmm. Le Puglie is in the plural. Yes, because it was Le, la tavoliere, le tavoliere delle Puglie. Huh. La Tavoliere delle Puglie, because it's like a tavola. There are no, the Apennine go through Calabria. Mm -hmm. and, um, but to come over to Puglia, once you cross over the Apennine, it's, then it's all very flat. So um, it's Tavoliere delle Puglie is the way we learned in my generation how to uh, the region of Puglia and there was a lot from north to south. Basso Salento is certainly the one that has developed more recently in terms of tourism. Um, we're keeping it very simple down here. We're trying to uh, hopefully also given the lessons also from perhaps over tourism in other regions of farther north in Italy. I think the, the choice of uh, administration as to keep it um, as plain as it has been, but allowing guests to get the Sapore de la Puglia without uh, ruining it. For instance, all of our coast now you cannot build anymore. 
um, it's it's um, Parco Naturale, mm -hmm. natural reserve. So we do feel that between now and 20 years, hopefully the, the landscape will, re will still be the way we see it now. The flavors will be unchanged. So it allows guests to really uh, feel and understand the culture when they're here. We've been talking a lot about experiential travel and those are discussions that I've been part of in, in different forums and you brought it up lightly how you're seeing this evolution of travel, investing more time in a place. I'd love to know for you what it is about the Basso Salento that, that can't be missed, that must be seen or even eaten if mm -hmm, you feel like mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, um, I'm very moved when I get to the tip of the hill. For me, standing up at the lighthouse of uh, Santa Maria di Leuca and overlooking the sea, where geographically, not historically, geographically I, the two seas meet, for me is very, very emotional because I find that we are, there's something very spiritual, very beautiful. The light is always amazing there and you have the two seas, one is often calmer than the other and they kind of clash together. Now, I will make this little per, um, this little addendum to my to my speech on the finibus de finibus terre because in maritime um, uh, rules the two seats seas actually meet at Otranto so the ah. very you know the very um, precise uh, listeners may say ah but in fact the two seas meet because that is also where the geographically they they, they met historically okay but when you look at the map it's actually Santa Maria di Leuca so I think being so close to the end of the hill we're very lucky for that. All of our guests get to enjoy that view. The port, as you said, is as if it has stopped in the 1950s. We have all these beautiful um, Liberty Villas from the beginning of the century. Uh, it has not been at all um, over, overly built or attacked by uh, any kind of commercial tourism. And um, there's a lot of respect for the area. So I really love being close to that. We go there frequently. Um, I also like very much the towns, the smaller ports on the Adriatic and some and Gallipoli very close to us. So, of course, during the heat of, you know, the month of August, there may be more buzz around those towns. It gets rather busy. But what I like to recommend to all of your listeners, too, is that just like Tuscany or Liguria or Piemonte, people travel there all year long. We must get away from this image of Puglia just being a beach resort area. It's, um, it is beautiful all year long. We are in fact open all year except for a few months, uh, January, February, most of the time we close to let our teams have a bit of holiday. But the light, the colors, the weather and everything you can do in this area is definitely worth visiting in the mid-season. So um, I just get very excited when I hear people interested in this area because I really do think that uh, it, it offers both cultural visits um, culinary ex experiences, beautiful wines from Puglia that are becoming more and more ex um, discovered and um, and of course very also very modern contemporary comfortable hotellerie. Um, we have we ourselves have fitted our hotel very 21st century. I'd like to say one word about sustainability which I think is very important. It was also part of our mission from the beginning so um, more and more we are trying to be um, you know to offset our carbon um, footprint and uh, and so I think Puglia and Basso Salento is working very nicely to be to preserve its history its beauty its antiquity moving it forward into the 21st century with a good equilibrium.
Well, I, I think it's done an incredible, I think you both have done an incredible job of tying in its past with and, and, and bringing it to the 21st century. Mm. To let everybody know, um, it's really quite easy to get here. I think sometimes it looks a little bit daunting, but let's just pretend you come to Rome and you decide, you know what, I really don't want to be here. Or you planned it, which I would suggest planning mm -hmm. in advance. Um, you can drive here. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to drive about? Actually, it's um, driving really from Rome is about five hours. Um, there's also a fast train that is about five hours and I a half. Know. But that's because it's mainly very fast until body and then it slows it's, down a little yeah. bit. But we should be getting higher speed um, uh, state tra I mean, transportation soon. And then it's one hour, not even an hour flight from body. You fly from, from Rome, you fly into Brindisi to come to us very easily. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can fly to Brindisi. Brindisi is and much you can fly easier. To and Brindisi want. is an hour away from Castello, so that's easy. I mean, it's it's so easy to get to. And even from other European cities, we're very well served from Swiss cities because there was a lot of um, Swiss uh, emig Swiss emig em Pugliesi who emigrated to Switzerland, so they're served very well, both from Zurich and Geneva, Paris, London, Amsterdam, all these big cities fly into Bari and Brindisi. So that's quite easy, really. It is. I, th I think it's 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 so much easier than than I than imagine. You imagine. And and I think one of the things I always I th I think is beautiful is actually just driving through Alapulia because the terrain does change. Mm -hmm. You know, and you and you yes. get down to the this part. You get down to the Salento, and it's you know, what's amazing is you can be driving on the road. There's one part of the the highway I noticed that you can look and you can see the coast from either side. Right. Right. Which I th I think a lot of people you know. They, they don't realize how coastal Italy is, mm -hmm. and there's no better place to see it than when you're mm -hmm. in the Salento. Right. Um, and it's just it's just an incredible drive because the terrain changes, and then you see, you know, you, you get on the outskirts of the big cities like Bari or, or Brindisi, and then all of a sudden there's this cute little Baroque town, or, right. I mean, I don't, I don't even, it, it, to me, it's it's definitely one of those, the most beautiful places to drive around. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to let everybody know that that's what you should be doing, I think. Um, well, it was wonderful to speak with you. I really had a great afternoon yesterday. I've had a, we've had a beautiful morning here. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. And I thank you also on behalf of Massimo, who I'd like to uh, just again salute because I think he definitely is the one who had this vision, who had the courage to start this whole aventura. And uh, I followed him <laughs> blindly. So it really is a little bit of a storia d'amore here in this Castello d'Amore. I love that. It's a storia <laughs> d'amore. It's a love and, story from and the we Damores. Were, and we were very happy to have you, Erica. So do well, come back. I, oh, I will be coming back. I can't wait. <laughs> I'll not be coming back when it's not hot. I mean, I, I love I love the heat. Right. So I love and actually there, to me, I've noticed there's no heat here. It's the, no. the, that breeze is incredible. Today it's beautiful and it changes. We do get a lot of winds, so it, it the heat disperses rapidly. But and I, then, but come in the mid season. Yeah, I want I want to explore a different feeling, a, a complete different mm -hmm. feeling. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, if you want to find out more about Castello di Ugento, visit castellodiugento.com and visit Ciao Bella, my website, where you can find out more about Puglia and Castello di Ugento. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao Bella. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please visit ciaobella.co and click on the podcast link or go directly to ciaobella.co backslash podcast. Want more Italy? You can find all my episodes on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. When you have time, subscribe to iTunes and rate the podcast. What are you waiting for? And if you want to be part of the podcast, email me or DM me your Italy questions. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafierpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafierpo. Ciao, bella!
and a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Disc to Disc Studios, the producers of Ciao Bella who continue to make me sound and feel great. 